0: world is in a constant state of confusion. Culture's viewpoint on sexuality has become the loudest voice we hear. As Christians, it is crucial in days like this that we are anchored in truth so we can lovingly engage the world around us without being deceived by the ever-evolving views of culture. Let's celebrate those baptisms one more time. Incredible. Love hearing those stories. Well, this morning we're going to start a new series called Twisted Love. We are going to be unraveling the, the cultural uh, deception in regards to sexuality and uh, the confusion we have with, with gender and our, our culture. We're in a bit of a crisis in our culture, and, and much of the confusion of our culture really is driven by the voices that we hear and the voices that we listen to. And one of the things we're going to look at this morning, this, the, the title of the sermon this morning is Two Voices. It's two voices. So when it comes down to this subject of, of sexuality and gender, there are really two primary voices that we hear. And we're going to see that this morning in Scripture there's the voice of the designer uh, and the voice of the deceiver, there's the voice of the creator who is the author. Uh, of of blessing and order and what is right. And then there is the voice of the deceiver who is the author of confusion. The Bible tells us uh, that's who he is. And so we wanna hear the right voice. Anytime we have a question concerning a particular thing in life, it is good to go to the original source. It's good to go to the designer or the creator, right? Uh, I remember a story was told uh, years ago in the early days of the automobile industry uh, making its boom. Ford Motor Company kind of owned uh, the market and there was a guy driving his uh, Ford pickup truck down the road and it broke down, right? So hence that little uh, acronym, found on road. Some of y'all don't know that, but I, I drive Fords as well, so it's, I'm not picking on him. But anyway, this Ford broke down and this guy gets out. He really doesn't know what's wrong. He has some ideas of what he thinks is wrong. And so he pops the hood, he's, he's messing around with it. He can't seem to get the truck running. And for too long, he's a little frustrated and he's just sitting there and a pickup truck pulls up behind him and an older gentleman walks out and says, can I help you? He says, well, I don't think you can. Uh, I've tried everything that I know to do. I can't seem to get this thing running. He said, well, can I take a look under the hood? And so the guy gets under there. Uh, he tells him, crank it up. And then within 45 seconds to a minute, this car cranks up and runs better than it did before. And the guy was like, oh my goodness, how in the world did you do this? Like I've been working on this for hours with with no success. The man reached out his hand and said, I'd like to introduce myself to you, I'm Henry Ford. I built this vehicle, I know exactly what's wrong with it and how it's supposed to work. And I tell that story to say this, whenever we have dilemmas in life, it's, it's good that we go to the designer, the creator, the one that built this thing, because when we hear his voice and we turn it over to him, we get to understand what it's supposed to be About, And that's what we wanna do in this series. We wanna hear the voice of God in regards to the subject of sexuality and gender. We wanna hear the voice of the designer. With all the opinions of man floating around and the the voice of the deceiver floating around, we need to hear a voice of truth. And that's why we turn to scriptures, by the way. That's why we turn to God's word. We believe that the Bible is what? It's true. And we believe the Bible is true because it's the word of God. God is the author of truth, he just doesn't possess truth. The Bible says that he is the truth. And so whenever we wanna know the truth about a particular subject, we gotta hear the voice of God. How do we hear the voice of God? We go to the word of God so we can hear the voice of God. Are you with me? So we want to do that in this series because much of the confusion that we find in the world around us today in regards to these subjects is because we've been simply listening to the wrong voices. We've been listening to the wrong voices. And this is happening in the church. As we hear more and more of the voice of the enemy in our culture, we're becoming more and more deceived about what truth is and what truth isn't. And here's what's happened in our church today is that we have, watch this, we have put our political positions in front of our biblical convictions. We have, we have, re, we, we have replaced and we've separated, rather, biology from theology, we have separated sexuality and spirituality. And because of that, we've only now are hearing one voice and it's the wrong voice. And we've got to recalibrate our life and tune into the voice of God so we turn to his word. And so grab your Bibles and let's go to Genesis. We want to go back to the beginning. We want to go back to the original design, the creation story. Because here's what you find in the creation story. You not only find what, is, what, what God's design is and what his uh, created intentions are for humanity, for all of life. Especially this area of gender and sexuality you also get a window and a picture into what's wrong with the world and why it is we're broken and why it is we're so confused in, in regards to this subject. We get both of those, uh, that information from Genesis chapter one through chapter three. And so really there are two phrases I'm gonna give you and then there'll be some little sub points that build off of these. But I wanna give you these two phrases and then we'll unpack each of them one by one. Here are the, here's the first phrase, is that we wanna see this morning that the voice of the designer, the creator, that's God, His voice leads to blessing or order and blessing. The voice of the designer leads to order and blessing. The voice of the deceiver, it leads to chaos and confusion, which is what we're seeing in the world today. Let's look at the first one. Let's look at the voice of the designer leading us to order and blessing. If you would, go to your Bibles in Genesis, to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse number 1. If you're there, say the Bible is true. It says, in... The beginning. All right, so we're going all the way back to where it all started. We're gonna go back to the origin to discover divine purposes, right? So in the beginning, God created. So he's the designer. He is the author of creation. He created, it says, the heavens and the earth. He's the origin of it all. Now listen to the next phrase. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, why is this important? Is that we're getting a glimpse into the beginning of creation. It says that in the beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, here was the condition of the heavens and the earth. It was formless and it was void. In other words, it was chaos and it was out of order. And what you're going to see as you read the creation account, the voice of God is going to take what is in disorder and he's going to put it into order. He's gonna take what's chaotic and he's gonna give it a structure and rhythm so that it functions for blessings for his divine purposes. And that's what he does. He says, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, verse three, and God said, so here's the voice of the designer. And God said, let there be light. And there was what? There was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated light From the darkness, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. So here's what you have. You have the universe being put into order by the voice of God. Order and blessing flowing from the voice of God. And so we saw in the first few verses this rhythm, and I'm not gonna read them all that you find throughout the creation account. And here's the rhythm. God speaks into disorder. He creates order and he evaluates that order, and he says it's good. And he does this throughout. He does it with the light and and darkness. He does this with the sky and the land. He does this with all the parts of creation. God speaks, what God says happens, and the evaluation is, it is good. In other words, it's as it should be. It's, It's an order and blessing. And this is the rhythm. Now, I want you to see something interesting about this order and design. If you look at the entire... Uh, creation narrative, here's what God does. When he speaks, watch this, in every moment of the creation narrative, he takes two opposites and he makes them work together in harmony. He takes two opposites and he speaks and he makes the opposites work in harmony. What do you mean? He takes light and darkness, night and day. He takes sky and, and earth. He takes dry ground and water. He takes plant life and human life. He takes male and female. And throughout the entire creation narrative, these two opposites, all of a sudden, under the voice of God, begin to work in order and in harmony. And check this out. You have to have both opposites for the earth and the creation to function properly. Now think about that for a moment. If you have a region of the earth that has too much land but not enough water it's not the best conditions for flourishing, right? If you have an area that's too much water and not enough dry ground, things can't really flourish like they should. If you have too much light and not enough darkness, things can't grow. If you have too much darkness and not enough light, things can't grow. So you you need both. And then when you come to the issues of male and female, man and woman, here's what you find. The creation of humanity is the crown jewel moment of creation. How do we know that? Well, one, it says humanity, both male and female, two distinct genders are created in the very image of God. And then when you get into chapter two, some people ask the question, it seems like there are two creation accounts. There's not. There's one creation account that's kind of given an overview in chapter one. And then in chapter two, God begins to go, I'm gonna give you more detail about the crown, crown jewel of creation, which is humanity and all of a sudden there's this retelling of how, human, uh, how mankind was created. Now I want you to see something for a moment. The opposites needing one another for things to be complete. When, when God creates everything and then he creates man and he places him in the garden, here's something that God does. For the first time in the creation narrative, God looks at his creation and says, it's not good. When he has man but no woman, it's not good. All the ladies in the room should say amen to that, by the way. God's evaluation was, it's incomplete. We need a counterpart. And so what does he do? Adam falls into a deep sleep and he takes one of uh, Adam's ribs and he uh, forms and he fashions the woman and he brings her to the man. And here they are now, he says, it's not just good. In chapter one, when he creates mankind, both of them, he says, it's very good. In other words, everything is as it should be. Everything is complete. Before, when there was man with no woman, it's incomplete. If there was woman with no man, it would be incomplete. Both opposites are needed, counterparts, to work in harmony with one another for God's order to be established and blessings to be experienced. There are two applications of this first truth I want you to see. Number one is this. Write this down if you're taking notes. Humanity flourishes when we live within God's created order. Humanity flourishes when we live within God's created order. This is why God's evaluation of, of humanity, his evaluation of creation, as you see, this order that has come out of disorder, this chaos that has turned into structure and blessing, God's evaluation is, it's not just good, it's very good. It's as it's supposed to be. God created, check this out, an ecosystem with order and structure And whenever humanity submits himself and herself to live within that order and that design, humanity always flourishes. Whenever there is disorder within God's created order, we miss out on the blessing that God has for us. And we see this, like we see the created order in the way that seasons work, like, right? Right? You got seasons, and it's this rhythm of creation. Now, the seasons get a little schizophrenic in Texas. We all know that. Yesterday, it was really cold. Now, everybody's kind of sick, and it's rainy, and it's warm. But you see this in the rhythms of the seasons, right? You see this in the way that the solar system works in harmony, like things are, 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 are moving at a certain speed, at a certain timing, and it happens, and it's like this clockwork. It's just this perpetual rhythm that God has created. And the cells of the human body have a rhythm in the way in which they work. There's an order according to that design. There's orders in the, in the, in the different parts of how the laws of nature work. There's just order and rhythm in life every time. In January, cowboy fans get their hopes up and then have their hearts ripped out. That's just a part of the natural order of things, right? Is that too soon? Is that, is that too soon? Right. But you see this. Like, like, God gives us in, in the Bible as he goes on, you see this play out. So God puts, you know, in, in the creation story, these opposites that work together and the laws of nature and all that. Then you got, has God revealing himself and he's showing us this is how you relate to me. Here's the rules and the commandments. Here's how life is supposed to be lived. And God puts boundaries. And here's what you find throughout Scripture. Whenever humanity lives in submission to the laws and the rules and the order that God has created, every single time it leads to blessing and flourishing for humanity. But every time we decide to step outside of those boundaries, here's the opposite application for this, write this down. Humanity suffers whenever we live outside of God's created order. Now, just think about that for a moment. Anytime humanity tries to defy God's order, defy God's laws, it leads to suffering. If you don't believe me, I just want you to try to defy the law of gravity. I want to help you this morning. No one defies the law of gravity. Now, you can defy yourself on the law of gravity, but you don't violate that law, that law if you push yourself up against it, that law will violate you. Gravity will always win. What about an airplane? Airplanes fly because they're using other laws of nature that temporarily suspend, but before too long, guess what? Gravity kicks in. So here's what we know. God's law, just in the common way in which life works, God's rules, God's order, God's laws are not to be violated. And when we do, we suffer the consequences of this. And you see this in the scriptures that whenever God's people rose up against him, whenever God's people said to him, I don't want your rules and your ways and follow your instructions or live in your order. I wanna determine for myself what is right. I wanna do what I feel. Here's what happens every single time. We see humanity suffer the consequences of their own decisions. Now listen, I love the fact the Bible tells us those things because God, listen, and I didn't say this earlier, I wanna make sure we understand something. The Bible is not a weapon That is used to wound. The Bible is a love letter from God meant to heal. So so the voice of God tells us, when you live according to my order, life is good. When you live according to your own desires, life is hard and you, you suffer the consequences of that. And here's why I think we're in such turmoil when it comes to this area of sexuality and gender. The reason there is so much confusion and pain and sorrow, and listen to me, I understand there are unimaginable things being done to people, unimaginable feelings that people carry in regards to their sexuality and their gender, and I want to sympathize with all of that, but I also have to say that where does all of that pain and suffering stem from? It stems from a moment when humanity decided our way is better than your way. And oftentimes what happens is, is that we, we, we don't understand that you, you, you don't follow the rules, the game gets hard. Like my kids are into sports. They, they're in the middle of a basketball season right now. And basketball has a lot of rules. And when those rules are followed and the order of the game is obeyed, the, the game can be really fun. It can be a really good experience. But imagine playing a game of basketball and there are no sidelines defined. It's just an open gym with an open court. Imagine if one side of the goals were seven foot and the other side were 14 foot. Imagine if the rules and regards to fouls weren't really communicated clearly. All of a sudden, something that could be so much fun and enjoyable now becomes frustrating and it's not fun anymore. And we understand that when it comes to the natural rules and orders of everyday life. Imagine if when you leave here, you pull out on the highway and there are no stripes that are distinguishing which side of the road you're supposed to uh, drive on and which side you're not. Imagine all of a sudden if the, the driving laws got changed and we, no one told us and we're just out there, what would happen? Chaos would abound. And there would be pain and suffering as a consequence of it. And the same is true when it comes to God's created order. And what it does is it leaves us confused. We, we don't know who we are. We don't know how we're supposed to Face life. We don't have to deal with the desires that we have. We don't know who God is. We, we don't understand if he, we can trust him, if he's not uh, able to be trusted. We, we don't know because when you violate God's order, it brings suffering. I want you to imagine this if you would. Think about where, where God is in all of this. Uh, there's a book that I recommend, and I, I love the name of this book. Uh, it's called Mama Bear's Apologetics. Uh, it's a guide to sexuality. I highly recommend it to all the families in the room. I highly recommend it. It's Mama Bear's guide, uh, Mama Bear's Apologetics Guide to Sexuality. Here, here's the author, here's what she does. She uh, gives this illustration. She says, imagine you're, a, you're, an, you're an artist and you design clothing for a living. And, and, and this, this, this gift that you have is, is both functional and it's both beautiful. So you love to make designs that are practical and helpful and that people can enjoy, but they're also pleasant to look at. And, and more than that, they're an overflow or an expression of who you are. So in a way, there's a part of you within the design woven into every article of clothing that you make. And not only that, every piece of clothing has a story to tell and and, and a a beauty to be described. And so not only do you sew this beautiful garments and you are getting ready for a presentation, but with every garment, you have written poetry. And that poetry articulates the meaning behind that Uh, that that outfit and what you intended and the the part of you that's an expression in that. And so you're getting ready for a big show and the night before someone breaks in and they cut up your garments and they re-sew them together to make them look like something you never intended. And all of the poetry that you spent time writing, they scribble out words and they insert new words and when it's all said and done, it doesn't communicate anything that you wanted to say. Then imagine you show up to the show, and all of a sudden, there it is, your creation on display, except for it's no longer an expression of who you are. It's a twisted version, yet everyone is judging you according to it. Here's what she comments on this in her book. Here's what she says. She says, God is the designer. Gender, marriage, and sex are the clothes And the poetic message that united them is now incomprehensible because it has been separated from God's original design. We have separated gender from sex, sex from marriage. Then we've redefined marriage and now we're in the process of redefining gender. If we are having a hard time understanding who we are, who God is and where our ultimate destinies lie, it is not because God has not communicated it. It is because we have destroyed his picture. The voice of God always, when we listen to it, it leads to blessing and flourishing, but it always leads to suffering when we ignore it. And the enemy knows this. This is why the big truth number two, I want us to see and then unpack some thoughts underneath this. The enemy knows that suffering comes when we walk outside of God's created order. So what does he wanna do? He wants to lead us in that place. Here's truth number two, write this down. The voice of the deceiver always leads to chaos and confusion. It leads to chaos and confusion confusion. We're introduced to him in Genesis chapter 3. Turn over there if you would. Look at verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, listen to this, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, whenever it says the serpent was more crafty and then the serpent speaks, here's what's happening in this moment is that the, the, the enemy, Satan, is coming and approaching Eve, but he's coming so clothed in deception. He's pretending to be something that he's not. We know this because in Revelation chapter 20, verse two, the scriptures tell us he calls Satan, calls him the deceiver, the serpent of old. Why is it he called the serpent of old? Because it's a point back to Genesis chapter three, verse one. And his aim in this moment is to deceive because that's what he does. He's the deceiver, he's the liar. Listen to Jesus' words about Satan. Listen to what he says in John chapter eight, verse 44. Jesus described him, he was a murderer from the beginning. So what is Jesus saying? From the very moment he enters into the equation in Genesis chapter three, his sole aim was to murder, was to kill and to steal the life from Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. Why? Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Uh, Some translations say it like this. He speaks his native tongue. Here's why. For he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. In other words, Satan is not just a liar. He is the source of all lies. All lies flow from him. And we see the original lie right here in Genesis chapter three. And it's a subtle lie. He comes in and he proposes this question and here's what he does. He is so good at his job. The deceiver, by the way, has more wisdom than we do. He is more deceptive oftentimes than we are wise. That's why we have to hear the voice of God. Otherwise, the voice of the enemy sounds really good. Now here, here, I'm gonna give you two truths about the deception of the enemy. Now, I want you to look up here for a second before I give them to you. This is gonna be in the context, obviously, of we're talking about sexuality and gender. But I want you to know these two truths about the tactics of the enemy, this works in every area of our life if our guard is not up and we're not listening to the right voice. There are two tactics he uses. He uses them right here, and he's using them today in the area of sexuality and gender and any other temptation he's trying to draw you into. Here's number one, write this down. Satan deceives by introducing a question mark where God has placed a period. He deceives by simply introducing a question mark where God has placed a period. Look what he says in Genesis chapter three, verse one. He said to the woman, did God actually say, I want you to know, this is the most dangerous phrase in human history. Did God actually say, what is he doing here? He's putting a question mark into the words of God. He's trying to cause deceive to put a question mark over the voice of God. Did God actually say? And now listen to what he says here. You shall not eat of, what's the word? Any tree in the garden. Now notice how subtle this is. He doesn't come out and just lie to her. He introduces a question mark. He introduces, he just wants her to turn her head just a little bit and go, huh, I never thought about that. So what is he doing here? He says, did God really say to you, you should not eat of any tree? Now what did God tell Adam and Eve? You can have of any of the trees except for one. The tree that's in the middle of the garden, that's my tree. When you eat of it, you're gonna surely die. So notice the grace and mercy of Jesus in a couple of ways. One, God allows humanity to have boundaries so that they can choose to be in relationship with him. That's an act of love. The second thing that he does is this, is that he loves them enough to tell them the consequence of their action before they take it. If you eat of this, this is what's gonna happen. So don't eat of it. Now, he provides everything they could ever want or need in life, but he's put this restriction there because he wants this to be a relationship. And so what the enemy does is he comes to Eve and he says this, he says, did God actually say you can't have of any of this? He wants to put a seed of doubt in her mind. So she begins to question the actual words of God and she begins to question the goodness of God. Is God withholding something from me? And we know that she bought this because what is her reply? She responds by telling Adam, or telling uh, Satan, by the way, she says this. She goes, "Um, No, God said we could have of all the, 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 the trees of the garden, but he said the tree in the center of the garden we can't eat. And then she adds, we can't even touch it. Now, did God say you couldn't touch it? No. You see, his question mark has been created in her heart. And now he does not have to distort God's word. He's doing it. She's doing it for him. Now all of a sudden she is inserting something that God never said. You see all he wants to do in our life listen to me he wants to insert a question mark. God says life works like this did God really mean that? Does, is God really going to hold out from you this thing? Does God's word really like is it really applying to that area of your notice how the enemy does this? Now, think about it in regards to sexuality and gender in our culture today. Think about this. Let me give you the questions that we're asking. This is what the enemy has done in our culture today. Does God really say that you need to wait till marriage to have sex? I mean, if you love one another and you're gonna get married, do you really have to wait? I mean, does God really mean that? Is pornography really that big of a deal? I mean, like, it's not like you're acting upon this thing. You're just watching images. No one's getting hurt. Is it really that big of a deal? Does it really matter who you marry as long as you love one another? I mean, isn't that the big idea? It doesn't matter if it's the same gender, opposite gender. If you love one another and you're committed, does it really matter who you marry as long as you love and are committed to one another? Isn't that the question of culture? Does God really care about your gender and who you identify as, as long as you feel whole and happy? And then the question of all questions. Doesn't God want you to be happy? Doesn't he want you to do what makes you? Would God give you, allow you to have desires and then tell you you can't act upon them? He doesn't want you to be happy? Do you see what's happening here? God puts a period The enemy puts a question mark. Doubt sets in. The goodness of God, the word of God begins to be questions, and all of a sudden, we are deceived. We know this. This is what Eve does. Look what she says. Let me say this first. Here's the other question we see in culture today. Is the Bible still relevant? You see, this is the confusion that we find. This leads me to tactic number two so number one satan diseased by introducing a question mark where god placed a period here's number two satan deceives watch this by reframing and redefining what is good he deceives by reframing and redefining what is good this is what you find right here genesis chapter three look what it says in verse number four this is but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die So he comes right out. God says, you will surely die if you take up the tree. He says, no, no, you're not gonna surely die. So now he is outright saying, God's holding out. He's telling you something that's not true. Now notice what he does next. Look at verse five. He says this, he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will what? You will be like God knowing good and evil. Now, how many of y'all have ever played the game two truths and a lie? You ever played that game? You, got have, you have two truths. One's a lie. You gotta figure out which one is that. This right here is like one, one lie and one truth. Okay, what do you mean? There's, there's a hint of truth to this because this is how the enemy deceives. He takes a thread of God's word and he sews it into the fabric of a lie. And then he points to the thread trying to get you to buy the fabric. Well, what is the truth? Oh, yeah, you... You will know good and evil after you take of the tree. Right now, up until this moment, Adam and Eve knew good. They didn't comprehend evil because they'd never experienced it. So he's telling them the truth. Here's what he's holding out. Here's what he didn't tell them. Before they knew good and evil, they only knew good and only did good. The moment they know good and evil, they can no longer do good, they can only do evil. The image of God distorted in their life. But here's the lie. God is holding out. God is keeping you from blessing. God is, listen to this, he's withholding what is good. What is good? What is good is for you to be able to make your own decisions. What is good is for you to do what's right in your own eyes. What is good is for you to be able to to, to live your best life and to take the appetites of your flesh and just live in them. This is what the enemy is telling them. Look, the tree is great and it's good. It'll give you wisdom. You can be like God, which means what? I get to define the order and the boundaries myself. I get to decide how I live my life. Isn't that the new moral good of our culture today? It is is the mantra of the world is do what feels good to you. Do what's right in your own eyes. You do you. If it makes you happy, make sure you do it. Don't let anybody withhold things from you that don't make you happy. We have reframed and redefined what is good. And this is destroying us and Eve buys this. Listen to this. Verse 6. It says so when the woman saw that the tree was what? good for food. And that it was what? a delight to the eyes. I want it so bad. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. I get to define what is right and wrong in and of myself. She took of the fruit. She ate it. She gave it to her husband and he ate it. Hook Line and sinker. Subtle. I want a question mark where God placed a period. Now let me reframe and redefine good. And listen to me, this is exactly what's happening in our culture today. We are seeing this in regards to sexuality and gender. There has been a complete reframing and redefining what good is. The enemy has taken pieces of truth and he distorts it and he serves it up as it's good. And and notice this, listen how, how the enemy has done this, this new standard of good. We have now normalized immorality in our culture in society and we treat it as if it's moral. Like the Bible tells us the day's coming and we're in that day when what is evil will be considered good and what is good will be considered evil. Why? Because there is a reframing and redefining of what good and evil is. And because of the normalization of sexuality and and sexual immorality, we now are swimming in a culture that has a new code of ethics, that has a new moral uh, ethic that we live by and everyone is expected to play the game and follow the new set of rules. Right? And we're being immersed into this. We live in a culture that not only tolerates sexual immorality, our culture champions it. You are hard pressed to find in any secular entertainment that doesn't offer an altered view of sexuality. You will not find one area of secular entertainment that does not offer an altered view, not secretly, blatantly. Why? Because it's a reframing and redefining of what is good. Casual sex is encouraged. Adultery is condoned and expected. Marriage is devalued. Homosexual and transgender lifestyles are woven into everything from entertainment to commercials to movies. Like you used to be able to go to a Disney movie and not have to ask questions. And and now, for the littlest of eyes and the youngest of minds, we want to put these images of a redefined, reframed sexuality in front of our children. Why? It's because the enemy is a master of deception. And he wants us to reframe in our hearts and our minds what good is and what acceptable, acceptable moral behavior is and is not. And we see it everywhere. Everywhere. It's all around, we're swimming in this. You know why? Here's what psychologists tell us when it comes to uh, changing the way people think and changing, listen, to what is good in, in the hearts and the minds of men. Is that if you can say something loud enough and long enough, people will confuse familiarity with truth. You say something loud enough, long enough, people will confuse familiarity with truth. And listen, we're seeing this with this next generation. Do you realize that our our teens and those who are coming up, children from younger, they are swimming in an ocean of confusion. They have been immersed into a culture where everything has been sexualized and our sexual observation of what right and wrong and good and bad is has now been conditioned by a new definition of what good is. And listen, this, and this is the game, all right? So the propaganda is the game of the enemy. And by the way, the enemy is not a political party. The enemy is not even someone who lives a different lifestyle. The enemy is the enemy of old who wants to deceive humanity and draw us away from God's order because he knows that humanity suffers when we step outside of God's boundaries. I want you to listen to this propaganda. I'm going to give you a definition uh, according to Wikipedia. We're not going to a Christian website here. Like, I want to know what's out there. What is propaganda? Propaganda is deliberate, systematic attempt to shape perceptions, manipulate cognitions, and direct behavior to achieve a response that furthers the desired intent of the propagandist. So you've got thousands of years of biblical truth. Listen, and I'm going to grant, it's not always been walked in in a righteous way. But you have this order that God has hardwired into creation, in structures and systems that He's revealed in His word. And then all of a sudden now, why is it that we are on hyperdrive in uh, the American culture toward this sexualization of our world? It's because the enemy knows that he can overthrow societies if he destroys family. And how do you destroy family? You begin to reorient them with a new sexual ethic. And this is what he's doing. A couple of, of modes of, of um, propaganda that's used is this. There's the, there's a, the, by the way, there's like a 100 of them on there. And when I read them, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is happening right now in front of us. Fire hose is, called, is one of them. This is where a large number of messages are broadcast rapidly, repeatedly, and continuously over multiple channels such as news and social media without regard of truth or consistency. And in the secular, secular ideologies when it comes to sexuality and gender, listen, that's, they own Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all of these outlets. And it's p- p- pursuing one message and one agenda. What is that agenda? It is this new normal of what is good. Then there's the appeal to prejudice. This is where you're using uploaded or emotive terms to attach value or goodness to believing the proposition. So that's what we've done. We've reframed. And so now, listen to this. We are living in a culture that no longer just preaches tolerance. In other words, tolerance 30 years ago was you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, we can still go have coffee and have friend, be friends, talk about these things and agree to disagree. That's not the world we live in today. We live in a world today where it, the expectation is not just approval of certain lifestyles, it is you gotta champion it You've got to promote it and you've got to celebrate it. And if you speak against it, you're the problem with society. Is that not the world we're living in? So, what does the enemy do? He wants to reframe and redefine what is good. And so now we're we're raising a generation of of teens and children who are hearing their whole life that if you listen to the voice of God, you're the problem in culture that if you see a biblical worldview and the order of God's creation, if you stand on on God's order for gender and sexuality, then you're the problem, and guess what? None of our kids wanna be the problem, so what do they do? I'm gonna go along to get along, because I wanna be good, and they say, if I'm good, I gotta embrace and promote and join in and celebrate, and I obviously don't wanna be isolated and marginalized, Listen, the tactic of the enemy is working. But I love what Rick Warren says. Rick Warren says this. In regards to this new moral good and the expectation of affirming what is the new normal, here's what he says. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that you, if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. That's why you have so much phobia words floating around. Because if you, if you say, I don't agree with something, well, you must be afraid of it. You're a whatever phobia, right? That's the issue. And then here's what he says. He says, the second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. If you don't, uh, you don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. In fact, I would say it's actually just the opposite. If you sacrifice biblical convictions. Now, I'm not saying we we have to watch tone and how we engage the world, but if you sacrifice biblical convictions in order to go along, to get along, I would say that's the most unloving thing you can do. If I have a friend who's got their headphones on and they're about to walk across a busy street and they can't hear the oncoming cars and they think all is well, I have a moral obligation to try to yank them out of the streets. Even if it puts my life at risk. Because if I love my friend, I have to love them enough to step in and help them see a disaster that's waiting to happen. And here's what our culture needs more than anything. I want you to watch this. Here's what our culture needs our culture needs the body of Christ to listen to the right voice, to listen to the voice of God. We are raising children who are swimming in an ocean of confusion and chaos and and they don't know up from down, but if moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles and life group leaders are listening to the voice of God, we can help navigate them through the turbulent waters, but we have to listen to the right voice. We don't listen to the right voice. We make the same decision that Adam and Eve made to their own demise to the shame and to the ruins of humanity but thanks be to God who sent Jesus Christ who lived the life we couldn't live who died the death we should have died who resurrected so that our lives could once again be submitted to God's order and through the work of the Holy Spirit slowly listen to this as we listen to his voice he begins to align our life back into order and he navigates us through the turbulence of the chaos of this world. Isn't that what we need? The voice of God. I was introduced to a story that I actually went and listened to firsthand of the gentleman who actually experienced this. It's a powerful story about listening to the right voice. There was a man by the name of David Gibbs. He's a Christian attorney. Spent a lot of time in ministry traveling and speaking. And David Gibbs was in Alaska and he was uh, looking at a case, a lawsuit or something. And he finished up his work and he and his attorney buddy were about to get to the airport to fly back home. And when he was in the airport, he had just got his ticket. A gentleman came over to him, a pastor who knew him and recognized him and said, You're David Gibbs, you're the attorney. He's like, Hey, I know you're about to get on a plane, but I would like to offer something to you. I have a private plane and I want to offer you, go and get credit for your ticket let me fly you back. And he's like, ah, I don't know if I wanna do that. I already got the ticket. He goes, no, 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 it would be a treat for me to spend a little time with you. And he was like, man, against his better judgment, he says, okay. He said, they walk out to where this gentleman's plane was. He said, I looked at it and I thought, well, it's shiny. So I guess it will fly. He said, we get in, everything is going okay. We're taxiing down the runway. And before we know it, we're lifting and we're taking off. And three to four minutes into the flight, we're still ascending. and. We're about to enter the clouds, and when we do, the pilot looks at me and tells me something he should have told me about 7,000 feet ago. And that is, when, at times when I get into the upper atmosphere where the clouds are, I tend to black out. And he said, I turned and said, can you say that again, about that time, his eyes roll back and he's out cold. He said, I began to shake him. He said, I, I just wanted them to wake up so I could kill him. And he says, I'm freaking out. And he said, my attorney friend's in the back. He's like, oh my gosh, what, is, what are we gonna do? We're gonna die. And he's like, there's a good chance we're gonna die. He said, what do we do? He said, I grabbed the radio and I handed it to my friend and I'm trying to grab the, 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 the wheel and I don't know what to do. And he said, we just begin to yell into the radio. Help us, help us. He said, finally a voice came on and it was another air Plane in the area that said, Do you not know proper etiquette? He said, No, we don't know anything. All we know is we're gonna die because our pilot is passed out and we can't wake him up. And he said, Well, let me let me get you in contact with the tower. And there'll be an emergency responder there to help you. A few moments later, they hear this voice. And the voice of the man introduced himself. David introduced himself. He said, so your pilot is blacked out. He says, yes, and you don't know how to fly, yes. He said, well, I've got one job. My job is to get you home. And he said, David, I need you to listen to what I'm about to tell you because this is gonna be the difference between life and death for you. You have to listen to my voice because if you don't listen to my voice, you're gonna crash and you're gonna burn. And there's going to be, he said, I'm looking at the forecast. The weather ahead of you is very turbulent. You've got about an hour flight. But I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And David, I want you to remember this. As you enter into this storm, the plane is going to be thrown around the sky. You're going to be filled with fear. And you're going to be tempted to look into the storm and to let your impulses guide you in that moment. But here's what he says. But David, I want you to remember this. You can't see me. But I see you. And I don't want you to look to the storm. I don't want you to make decisions by fear. I need you to listen to my voice. My job is to get you home. David says they began to fly and he would guide him every step of the way. He said before too long, he said some other voices would come on and there would be other planes in the area and they'd be saying, "Men, we're praying for you. You're gonna make it. Keep listening to the voice, he's gonna get you home. David tells a story, as they got closer to the airport, they began to descend and as they descended, the voice said to him, David, you're about to approach the runway and here's how you're gonna know it's the runway. There's gonna be a row of lights, but I wanna tell you something about this runway. This is the truth of what he said. He says, the runway lights are in the shape of a cross. And I want you to know that the cross is home and I want you to fly straight to the cross he said as he began to descend he said I landed the plane on that runway seven times we just bounced all the way across he said we finally stopped He got really quiet he said then I heard that voice here's what he said David thank you for listening to me my job was to get you home, but I deal with pilots every day who don't want to listen to my voice. They want to listen to the voices in their head. They want to make decisions by their fear, and I watch them crash every single day simply because they won't listen to my voice. Thank you for listening. He said, overwhelmed. They were just tired. They put him up at a hotel, and about 4 o'clock in the morning, he heard him knock at the door. He opens the door. There's a man standing there, He says, hello, David. And when he heard his voice, he said, you're the voice. He said, David, welcome home. Church, I understand we are flying through turbulent times. And there are times when the voices of culture are so loud and the fears and the anxiety. There are some of you that are are fighting desires in your own heart. You don't know what to do. Some of you, you're you're sensing this this tension because there's loved ones and friends and family and you're trying to navigate, how do I love and yet hold the truth? I don't know what to do. Here's how we do it. We've got to listen to the right voice. We can't let the voice of culture or the voice of desire or the voice of impulse cause us to make decisions that are based upon what we think is right and wrong. We have to listen to the most trusted voice, the creator of the universe. And listen, here's what he says to you. If you'll listen to me, I will get you home. I have given a cross and that cross is the pathway. And I know you're afraid and I know you're confused and I know you're overwhelmed, but listen to my voice. I'll get you home and then there's gonna be the day. Isn't this awesome? There's gonna be a day we'll be able to say to our Creator you're the voice. Thank you for guiding me home. Churches we navigate through this series. I simply want us to hear the voice of God. This is not about right and wrong, although there is right and wrong. This is not about truth and error. This is about life and death. This is about love and compassion. This is about real relationships and real friendships and real desires that people don't know what to do with. We've got to listen to the voice. We're going to do something very briefly, and I'm going to invite you to join me just for a moment of prayer. I'm going to kneel down. I'm going to invite anyone who's willing to come and pray with me. We're going to pray that the Spirit of God moves over these next couple of weeks. We're going to pray specifically for family or friends that we might have in our life that we... We need to hear the voice of God so we can speak the voice of God. So I'm gonna kneel to pray. If you wanna come and pray with me, I encourage you to leave your seat now and come, and we're just gonna kneel as a way of saying, God, we need to hear your voice. We need you to navigate us through these times. As you're coming, I encourage you to come and just begin right now to pray that God would let you hear from him. Pray for people in your life that are confused and you're having a hard time knowing how to love them best, pray that the voice of God would give you direction. Pray that the voice of God would speak to them. Just pray for that. Father, we just humble ourselves before you, praying for friends and family members praying for a culture that's lost, praying for the next generation. God, I'm raising up three children in this generation. I so want them to hear your voice. So want them to know truth and to navigate through the turbulent days ahead as they try to hear your voice and yet they're being told so many different things. God, as parents, we can't answer all the questions and we can't navigate every step of the way, but God, if they hear your voice, you're going to lead them through it. So God, we want to hear from you. I pray that grace and mercy would be experienced in this place, both today and the weeks to come. We ask this in Jesus' good name and God's people said, amen.